Hello and welcome to another episode of the Secular Buddhism Podcast. This is episode number 151. I am your host, Noah Rochetta, and today I'm going to talk about the skillful practice of observation. As always, keep in mind you don't need to use what you learn from Buddhism to be a Buddhist. You can use what you learn to be a better whatever you already are. If you're interested in learning more about Buddhism, check out my book, No Nonsense Buddhism for Beginners, available on Amazon, or listen to the first five episodes of this podcast. You can find those easily by visiting secularbuddhism.com and clicking on the link that says Start Here. If you're looking for a community to practice with or to interact with, consider becoming a patron by visiting secularbuddhism.com and clicking on the link to join our community. All right, so for today's podcast episode, this is actually the second time I'm recording this. I just finished recording the entire episode only to discover that my microphone was muted. So here we go, round two. One of the reasons I enjoy recording podcast episodes is because I I, I consider each of these concepts as a tool. Uh, Imagine that you have a big toolbox and each concept is a tool that you can pull out and with one simple phrase like life is like a game of Tetris or the parable of the raft or who knows what is good and bad, things like that. You take a concept and that one little concept, you can unpack the whole teaching behind the concept and that becomes a tool that helps you to live more mindfully uh, or to live your life in a way that would perhaps be better than it would have been had you not become aware of that concept. And that's my goal. I want to continue to introduce just concepts or ideas. Most of these are concepts or ideas that come from uh, Buddhism. Uh, These are concepts or ideas that I have encountered on my own path and enjoyed them enough to want to share them in a way that I feel makes sense for anyone listening to be able to unpack this concept or idea to improve their own life. And that's what I have in mind for today. The concept I wanted to share is that the correlation between observation and action. Observation, as a concept here, uh, as a practice, it's a very active thing. It's not a passive thing, and it's not a form of resignation. Think of a skilled observer that observes precisely in order to be able to be more skillful in how they act. So the observer is doing a very deliberate thing. It's not a very, it's not a passive thing. I've been reading a book called The Nature Instinct by Tristan Gooley. And this book, to me, uh, really hits home on this concept of observation. The premise of the book is that as a society, we're not really in tune with nature anymore. And a big part of that is because we don't spend the time out in nature observing all the little things that nature could teach us about anything. Observing the constellations to navigate at night. Sure, it's something that can be done. Most of us don't do that simply because we've never spent the time to learn that or to observe long enough to realize the implications of the thing that we're observing. And in the book, he gives a lot of examples of this for people who hunt, for example, to be able to uh, analyze the landscape and know which way an animal might go or uh, to observe the landscape and instantly be able to know the cardinal directions, which way is north and which way is south, or things of that nature. 
And when you read a lot of these things and you discover, you know, people who can tell you this or that by observing this or that, it almost comes across like, wow, that's like magic. How do these people know these things? And then he'll go on and explain how they know. And, and, and then it all makes sense. And the key takeaway for me, listening to all those different examples is I just don't spend a lot of time observing and I would have never even known that that's something that you could know. But had I grown up observing, I would be able to do those things very proficiently as well. And I can see this in my own life, in my own little sphere of the areas where I observe quite a bit. I've become an expert at whatever it is that where I spend my time. Same as you, right? Whatever your career is or wherever you focus your energy and your time, that's something that you're going to be much more proficient at understanding compared to someone who hasn't been spending that time observing whatever the thing is. In other books, the mind is often referred to uh, like a horse and a rider. And the idea here is that the horse is the part of the mind that's the reactive part. And the rider is the more analytical, or we could call it the observer part of the mind. And I like this uh, correlation because what it tells me is that you can be the observer and at the same time remain neutral in your observation of whatever the experiences that you're having. So imagine again the horse and the rider and the horse gets spooked by something. The horse starts bolting and you as the rider, if uh, if you're just going along for the ride, you can observe the fact that you're going along for the ride. Like, wow, this horse is going faster. Oh, it feels like I'm going to get bucked off. That's the observer observing whatever the experience is that the horse is having, which is also your mind. And that's what's cool is that we are both the horse and the rider. So for me, that uh, is the understanding that I can be the observer and the experiencer at the same time. I can be the experiencer of a strong emotion, for example, and at the same time be the observer of the experiencer that's experiencing the strong emotion. I've mentioned this before in the podcast that uh, it's like experiencing anger. And while you're experiencing anger, you're able to notice, wow, I'm experiencing anger. And the observer of the experience is neutral, right? Because when I'm observing that I'm angry, the observer is not angry. The observer is just observing. And yet the experiencer of the horse in me is still experiencing anger. And I think that's where sometimes there's a little bit of a misconception. It's like, well, if I practice mindfulness, I won't experience anger. And that's not the case at all. It's that you will experience anger, but you'll be able to observe that you're experiencing anger as you're experiencing it. And what that does is it makes you less reactive. If I'm going to go into reactive mode while I'm having a strong experience of an emotion, that's different than being capable of having a more deliberate action that can take place once I observe that I'm experiencing anger. So again, the whole point here goes into how I act. Act is the key word here. And I think this goes hand in hand uh, with the Four Noble Truths. So before I remind you of what those are, uh, the art of observation, again, it's not to be passive. It's to be analytical and ultimately more skilled with whatever the next step is or the next action that we're going to take. So in the Four Noble Truths, we talk about the truth of suffering, the truth of the cause of suffering, the truth of the end of suffering, 
and the truth of the path that leads to the end of suffering. And I like the way Stephen Batchelor correlates these truths to tasks, uh, things that we can actually practice. And he describes them as tasks, where the four tasks would be, first, embrace. Embrace the instance of suffering, or embrace whatever it is you're experiencing. Second, let go of what arises. The moment I allow myself to embrace whatever it is that's taking place, let go of what arises next. And then third, see the cessation. See the cessation of suffering, or see the cessation of reactivity. And fourth, act. And to me, this is the most important one. I want to act skillfully with whatever it is life's throwing my way. I use the Tetris analogy a lot. Life is like a game of Tetris. And as I'm playing the game, imagine the two different styles of play. One, every piece that shows up, I go into reactive mode and I'm screaming and yelling, I don't like this piece. And because I'm so caught up in the reactivity, I cannot act skillfully. This is actually a known thing with, with our brain. Any neuroscientist um, will be able to tell you that those two parts of the brain, the horse and the rider, the horse always trumps the rider. And that's like the, the part of our brain that goes into reactive mode when we are in reactive mode trumps the part of the brain that can be the observer that's going to act more skillfully. And this is why you're far more likely to act unskillfully while experiencing a strong emotion like anger than you are to act skillfully while, while you're experiencing anger. So the way that we work with this, at least in the Buddhist context, if act is the fourth of those tasks, I want to act in a way that's more skillful than I would have acted had I not spent some time observing whatever it is I'm experiencing. So observation to me is the key. Where I spend time observing, I become more skillful. And you can see this in, in normal day-to-day -day life. Look at a sailor or a mariner who spends a significant amount of time out on the ocean. They can tell you things that you, about the, what's happening with the ocean or with the sky that you might at first glance think, how do they know that? That's like magic. You know, a, a sailor who can say, yep, there's a storm coming. And for the non-practiced observer who observes the sky and the sea, they might be like, what? How do you even know that? But they know because they have observed and they detect all the little things like subtle changes in pressure or subtle changes in temperature or humidity or whatever it is that they're picking up on through observation. And this correlates to anything, right? Whether it's a skillful mariner or a skillful mechanic, the skillful mechanic can do the same thing and listen to the sound of the pinging of your motor in your car and tell you, oh, here's what's wrong. And how do they know? observation. They spent a lot of time listening and observing and they can identify things that the untrained or the unobserved ear can't. And I see this, of course, in my sport as well. Someone who spends a lot of time on the side of a mountain or in a field observing the patterns of the wind uh, can tell you things like, yes, it's going to be a good flight tonight or nope, it's going to be bumpy air or oh, over there is where the thermals are if you Go that way, sure enough, there you find thermals and you can soar up high. Where to the eye that hasn't observed these things, they may listen and say, how? How do they know? It sounds like magic. 
And that that's it. It's the observation is the key. So now imagine if I can observe through observation and become an expert at one little facet of life, whether it's in nature, reading the stars, or um, determining weather patterns, or whatever the thing is, imagine how much more beneficial that practice is when I internalize it and I become an observer of my own mind and I understand the nature of my own mind. I can experience a thought or a feeling or an emotion and I know what's coming next because I'm an expert. I've been observing my own mind. It's fascinating to me that how rare this is. Most of us go through life without observing inward. We may observe things outward, but inward it's just reactivity. If I don't eat, then I get hangry. And that's there's a direct correlation, right? There's reactivity. If I'm angry and you say something to me, I'm going to react this way. And all of it makes sense, but rarely do we spend the time to understand, oh, this is why, this is what's happening. <laughs> I think hunger is just one of those common ones. How often do you interact with someone who may not be in their normal mood and you might say, I think you're hungry. Like we do this with our kids, right? I think you need a nap. I think you need to eat something. But they don't know that about themselves. Well, we're no different. If we don't practice observation of ourselves, of the nature of our own minds, we go through life just like that, it, reacting to things without even realizing that reacting that we're reacting, or even worse, uh, we have no clue why we're reacting the way that we're reacting. So this is where observation as a, as a concept, I think is very powerful. The correlation between observation and action, I think is a very powerful thing. And I aim to be an observer of my own mind. I aim to be an observer of my habitual tendencies in life. Everywhere where there may be reactivity or even worse, habitual reactivity, I want to understand that about myself. Why do I think what I think? Why do I say what I say and why do I do what I do? And the more time I spend doing that, again, it's all with the goal of ultimately being more skillful in action. It's not about being an observer that's passive. It's not about observing so that I don't have to make a decision or that I can be resigned to whatever it is I'm experiencing. No, it's not that. It's I want to be very skilled with and deliberate with whatever I do next or whatever I say next. And the key to that starts with observation. So I hope that you can take this concept or this idea of observation as a practice and apply this to your own day-to-day -day life and ultimately use this, like it says at the beginning of the podcast, as a way of becoming a better whatever you already are. That's all I have to say about this topic, and I hope um, I hope that this is something that can benefit you in your day-to-day -day life, and I look forward to recording more podcast episodes in the near future. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Until next time.